Good morning and welcome to Recipe for Success. My name is Nancy Giacalone and my guest this morning is having a little bit of technical difficulties and will be joining us momentarily. For those of you that have um, never tuned in before, the purpose behind this podcast is really it combines my love of cooking with my love of business and all things that require special ingredients or special techniques for the ultimate success, easy for me to say. There was one thing I discovered when I was um, cooking is that there was always that one thing that made the difference. And then the more I thought about it, the more I realized that that was really true in life and in business as well. So I think that she has her technical difficulties worked out. So I am going to welcome Jennifer Newell to the studio. Hi, Jennifer. You're, you're muted at the moment. Hi, Nancy. Thanks for having me. Yes. Thank you so much for joining me. Um, so I'm really excited to have Jennifer here. She is doing something that is very different than anybody else I've ever spoken to. So this is really cool. Um, Jennifer, I'd like to kick it off by giving you the opportunity to introduce yourself, tell our audience a little bit about you and your career history. Absolutely. Well, I'm so grateful to be here. Um, thank you for having me on Recipe for Success. Um, so as Nancy mentioned, I am um, the founder and CEO of Betty's Co. We are a women's healthcare company that is really focused on younger women, and we serve them from period up to pregnancy planning and offer them gynecology, mental health, and wellness care. And I got into this um, business uh several years ago. Um, actually, it was one of my first jobs right out of college. I stumbled into a career in healthcare and I I ended up doing um, business development and marketing for a healthcare consulting company. And that consulting company at the time really specialized in physician practice management. So I like to tell people that I kind of cut my teeth um, listening to hospital and medical group executives talk about how difficult it is to run a medical group. And here I am starting a medical group. That's awesome. Before we get started, I have a funny story to tell. So um, we were introduced through a mutual friend and we scheduled a time to talk to find out, you know, if you wanted to be on my podcast, if you were a good guest, et cetera. And it was a couple, maybe six weeks. It was a while from the time we scheduled it to the time we actually had the call. And the call was on a day, I'm pretty sure I had COVID when, when I got on the call with you. And I'm looking at my calendar and going, I have no idea who this person is. I don't know why I'm talking to them, but I, get, I hop, on the, hop on the call and you're kind of looking at me going, I have no idea who this person is or, or why I'm talking to them. And it took us a couple of minutes and we're like, oh yeah, that's right. But it was, a, that was a, actually a, a funny moment because I'm usually really on top of so things. Funny. I had no idea. I'm like, mm, I'm going to have to take the call anyway. Same. It was so funny. It was one of those busy days, right? Where I, you know, we're back to back to back on calls and, you know, sifting through inbox and saying, wait a second, I remember scheduling this call. Yes. I know this person's name, but I cannot remember why we're speaking. And I was so grateful. Nancy, you were the one who first fessed up. You know, you hopped on the call and, and I just appreciated that moment of honesty so much because we need that. We need that in, in, in networking situations. We need that when we're kind of um, meeting new people. And sometimes it's okay just to say, remind me why we're here again. Yeah. And also you took the call. We both yeah. took the call knowing, 
but there's purpose in this. Yes. What is it? And we're going to figure it out together. I know. I was, I just knew I was supposed to take it. I just didn't know why. So anyway, <laughs> yeah. it was, it was great. Okay. So you briefly told us a little bit about Betty's. Um, go, go a little deeper. I mean, you kind of gave me the, you know, the little 30 second elevator pitch. Tell me a little bit about right. what it is so that anybody that's listening can really understand what you are and what purpose you serve. Sure. Um, so I guess to back up a little bit, one of the ways I can best describe um, what we're doing is why we're doing it. And a lot of that is really grounded in my own personal experience as a patient. And I know in our early conversations, Nancy, I, I told you a little bit about my story. Mm -hmm. um, I was 17 and I never started a period. At 15, my pediatrician recommended that I see a gynecologist at 16. And so, you know, like most adolescents, I waited another year and, and sure. my mom took me to see her gynecologist. And with a very quick blood test, she was able to diagnose me with a condition called premature ovarian failure, which really just means my ovaries stopped working. I stopped producing estrogen and progesterone. As a result, um, I did not have any survivable eggs in my ovaries. And so I am infertile. Um, the diagnosis of infertility and knowing that I have this condition that will have to have some ongoing care management you know, the, the diagnosis wasn't a big deal. It's everything that happened after that across the next um, probably five to seven years as a, an, a teenager and a, a woman in her young 20s, navigating the healthcare system was really challenging. And I found it very unwelcoming and unable to cater to me as a younger woman. Um, and so I had a couple of, you know, somewhat traumatic experiences. There were times when I stopped taking my medication um, and it took me a long time to get a handle on that. But through that process, I learned how to advocate for myself. I learned my body. I learned um, how to manage my own healthcare in partnership with my providers. Um, and that's something that a lot of young women don't learn. So there were significant upsides to my experience. And then as I, as I mentioned, I stumbled into a career in healthcare as I started to learn more about the healthcare industry, particularly in the provider space and the medical group space, I got to see the why behind the why that healthcare wasn't able to meet my needs as a younger woman. A lot of that has to do with the time that the physicians have to spend with their patients. Um, and so when I you know, had been in that uh, field for a long time, I was in that field for a little over a decade, um, you know, I, I, those two things kind of merged and I found myself really lamenting over the state of women's healthcare, particularly for younger women. And I started to research and think through, there has to be a better way that we can do something to serve these young women that is going to have um, you know, a downstream effect on their lives and on the lives of other young women to come. So um, I really just wanted to think about ways to change the stigmas around women's healthcare, the culture around women's healthcare, and really starting with this younger demographic. And so that's, that's what we do, right? We serve that that niche of the market, and our goal is to give them a remarkable experience, one that they are going to want to have, one that becomes a rite of passage, um, and using all of the tools in our tool belt that we can possibly do and make that sustainable with a healthcare model that exists today. Um, so we're working really hard to do that. And, and again, we gynecology, mental health, and wellness care. Those things are so um integrated for women, that we're integrating our care that way, um, and really kind of focusing on, again, how do we meet these young women where they are? And for us, that's twofold. That's um, 
how we meet them where they are in their lives, um, but that's also how we meet them in, in their life stage, also how we meet them in their lives physically. So that's virtual care because we know they're on their phones and they're on their computers. So we have a telemedicine platform that we've designed and that's in use today. And then we also have a mobile clinic. So this mobile clinic, that. thank you. It allows us to be on college campuses and um, in popular retail spaces and essentially where young women live and work and play. That's our goal is that we can meet them where they aggregate. I, I mean, I, you, I already know this, but like just hearing you say it again, I'm like, it just gives me, literally gives me goosebumps. I love, I love that mission. I love that you really have identified such an underserved market because especially even when you're telling me your story about how you were diagnosed and you learned at a very early age that you were permanently infertile, um, when you're 17, it's like, yeah, okay, you know, whatever. Um, but then you have the mental impact of that not only the physical impact, and I don't know if you were fortunate enough to be in an environment where they immediately address that, but oftentimes that's one thing that is so overlooked, especially with major diagnoses, is that, oh, hey, you have this, come back in two weeks or come back in a month, and there's never any direction or support for the mental piece of dealing with all of that. And especially young women, they're not going to think to, maybe I should talk to somebody about this, unless it's kind of part of that whole process. Exactly. And and I wasn't. I, I didn't get any um, mental health counseling to cope with it. And what's interesting to me and, and where I, I, I do strongly believe in the mind-body connection is I wasn't surprised by that diagnosis. I remember my my brother who was, he was 15. I was 14. He asked me if he thought I would ever be able to have children one day. And I told him no. And I didn't get that diagnosis for three years. So I really believe strongly that women know their own bodies. Um, we have an, an intuition about that, our physical capabilities, and in many cases. And so there's, I'm, I'm encouraged by a lot of movement that's happening around um, believe women in medical spaces, right? If a woman tells you she's in pain, she's in pain, um, which we know um, based on some biases that happen, that isn't always the case. And a lot of women are overlooked for their pain and their symptoms. So that's one thing we work to address in Betty's. Um, and then you mentioned the mental health piece, right? I, I was transitioning from one provider to the next years later, um, probably five or six years after my original diagnosis. And so I had to transfer my medical records. My doctor had written in the notes, um, daughter doesn't seem to get it yet, but mom does like the fact of the infertility and the weight of that. Um, and you know, looking back, she was right. I think again, I had the intuition to know that this was probably going to be the outcome of a visit like this, but I, um, what I didn't anticipate of course is, you know, when I was, uh, in my young twenties, I met my husband at 22, we got married at 24, you know, just how my emotions were going to change during that time period of my life. And, you know, we've, we've gone through the process of, um, attempting adoption. It, it did, it was not a successful adoption. Um, the country we were adopting from closed down. And so now here we are, I'm 37 and, and we don't have any children in the home. And, um, we're actually in a really great place mentally, um, for that, but I see so many of my peers who um, are in a different mental place when they find themselves at a different stage of their life, and it's unexpected that um, that kind of childlessness is unexpected for them and something that they've so right. strongly desired. So I feel fortunate in where we are, but can see just the significant um, 
effect on a diagnosis like this to a woman's mental health and to, you know, even her future partner's mental health. Right. You know, the other thing I think is interesting um, with regards to this specific topic is that a lot of young women and young men say, oh, I don't ever want to have kids because they're not there yet. Right. And then that changes. And if so, you know, young people, I'll say that in general, don't always understand the implications of medical things that are going on with them, both physically and mentally, um, that it's going to have down the road. So providing that support earlier on would hopefully make that transition in life smoother, I guess would be the way that I would look at that. You know, I 100% agree with you. I think one of the challenges that younger, um, younger people have, particularly when they're experiencing women's health care, is there's so much emphasis on pregnancy that for a person who is mentally not thinking about becoming pregnant in the next few years, right. and even ever, if so much of that visit is still revolved around their future fertility, you really lose them in the moment and you lose right. the ability to weigh into their lives at this time of their lives to, to talk to them about things like, um, you know, menstruation and what, what is, um, kind of normal and not normal. And and I I really don't like that term, but there's not a better one for this purpose. Um, What, um, how can we get in front of them about, you know, kind of sex education and and building healthy sexual lives Um, and some other things that are going to be really critical for them, you know, currently in their moment and across the next few years, and then just set up that foundation so that when the time comes and they maybe are thinking, well, maybe I'm going to change my mind and maybe I'm interested in having children, or maybe that's where they are in their lives, that they've had that foundation of understanding how their body works. They know um, how to engage with the healthcare system and with a provider that's going to be able to specialize in fertility and, 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 and obstetrics, that we could have given them that foundation. But if we immediately go with them with the, well, you know, one day you might change your mind. And so we need to talk about it now. Right, right. That terminology and that phrasing, we're just going to lose them. Right. So you're exactly right. We've got to be prepared that one day they may need to know this information. How do we give that to them now in a way that's really going to resonate? You know, the other thing that um, I think is um, wonderful about what you're doing with Betty's Co. is is we cannot deny the fact that women's bodies go through different things than men's bodies do, especially young women. And yes. for some women, they lose a significant portion of their life every single month from the physical and the mental toll that they go through. And they're not equipped to understand what that means, how best to deal with it, how to communicate with a partner, how to communicate with that in a workplace. I mean, it is a it is a huge issue and we just kind of sweep it under the rug most of the time instead of addressing it head on that th- this is happening. So how do you right. best deal with it? Right. You know, um, some some stats I like to share. Um, one is that women on average lose nine days of productivity a year to menstrual symptoms. Um, the other is that we know that women are twice as likely to have depression and anxiety. Um, and that phenomenon starts at menstruation at the time of puberty. So there's a direct, I won't say direct correlation, a researcher is going to hop on here and, and, you know, slap my hand for that. But we see the connection, right, between menstruation and um, a depression and anxiety in women. And in fact, um, adolescent women, and this is an NHI study, adolescent women are at the greatest risk of um, severe depression and mental disorders globally. So there's this, um, this, this factor of, you know, being 
young being female that's going to increase those chances. And then, of course, throughout life, women still face that twice as likely to have depression and anxiety. So there are things that happen in women's bodies um, that don't happen in men's bodies. And, um, you know, that's why we need a specific kind of set aside type of care um, that it's not a one size fits all approach. If this works for men's bodies, it doesn't mean it's going to work for women's bodies. Um, and so I think by having a place just for women, we can help combat some of that and help give them the tools and the resources they need to be able to manage their, their menstrual cycle, their menstrual symptoms, um, so that they can continue their lives. They can do their social activities, their work activities in school um, without feeling like they are really losing that time. Um, another thing I, I like to mention, I, I read this recently. I'm not sure where the research comes. I don't know how true it is, but I like it. I'm going to share it. So um, I was just reading about how um, the typical work day is really built um, uh, around a, a man's kind of productive cycle where he starts his day with higher testosterone. At the end of the day, his testosterone is, is much more depleted. And so that gives him energy to sustain throughout a long day, very tired in the evening. Women don't have that kind of cycle, as we know, right? Women are going to have a monthly cycle. So we have, you know, a week or two where we feel like we can just conquer the world and we can get so much done in that amount of time. And then we have a week where we're just going to like trudge along. We're not going to feel that great. We're going to have low energy. We're not going to sleep well, um, which of course coincides with about the time that we're going to start um, mm -hmm. a period and start bleeding. So just thinking through that, you know, if you're an employer, if you are an administrator of any type, if you're managing people, you know, what are your people's um, rhythms, kind of natural rhythms? Do they have what they need to be able to um, predict when they're going to start to feel badly? That is one thing about a woman's cycle is, you know, if you track your symptoms, there's some predictability there. Um, and then how you manage that. And then how do you give them the tools to manage that, knowing that we're actually working in a system that doesn't uh, really acknowledge what's happening with us physically. You're so, you're so right. So f tell me about what that average visit would be like for um, a young woman. They're, 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 they're with a provider, whether it's virtual or in-person, what to, what, what does that visit look like? How long does it last? What's the, just tell me a little bit about that. Yes. I love this. I'm actually going to start before the visit happens because we have, I mentioned we have our telemedicine platform. Um, all of our patient facing technology is custom to Betty's. And one of the reasons we did that was to make sure that um, we have a long questionnaire so that women can answer their questions in a more anonymous way. So we have questions, expanded questions, obviously their medical history, their surgical history, but we also have it about, you know, their sexual history, how they're feeling. We have screenings for mental conditions there um, that, that gets to our providers well in advance of that visit and our care team meets about that particular patient. Why are they there? What's going on with them? So that we can go into that visit and say, you know, Hi, Nancy. It's so nice to meet you. Thank you for being here. Um, you know, I see that you're struggling with this. We'll talk about that, but let's talk about these things too. Um, and just really create a dialogue that is so focused on their unique experience and what they've shared with us to date. So that happens before. So in that visit, our visits, our standard visits are 40 minutes, a full 40 minutes in length. Right now, they're actually running a little bit long. Um, we are working to get them to 40 minutes because young women need a lot of time right. and explanation about things that are going on with them. 
Um, our, we do follow-up visits, those are 20 minutes, but when a patient comes in um, and she's with us for 40 minutes, um, we review the history that she shared with us, our providers um, have set aside um, uh, essentially education sessions, kinds of small things. So we asked our patient, is there anything else you'd like to understand today? And so we have our medical director actually created um, all of these for our providers to share in their charts of exactly how we wanna talk about certain factors around kind of menstrual cycle, around sex, around um, overall wellness and prevention, around mental health. So we can spend chunks of time just educating our young women during those visits. And then of course, if a physical exam is needed during those visits, we'll do a physical exam, whatever is recommended under, um, um, for a well woman based on age, right? A woman doesn't need a pelvic impact every right. year. They need it every three years starting at 21. That's the recommendation, unless there are other things that trigger that provider to say, maybe we should go ahead and look at this. Um, so we do all of that um, in our visits too. So um, you, I'm sure you know this, having come from a, a healthcare background, but the average office visit is seven to eight minutes. That's how much time an average provider spends with a patient. Um, generally, their goal is to prescribe, refer, or to get you out of the office. It's really, they're, they're, they're really focused on how do they move you through as quickly as possible instead of focused on you as a person and how to support, support that. So um, I think this is wonderful. And especially young people do require more um, explanation and more care as you're going through this, because it is scary, it can be overwhelming and intimidating. And, and the more you make that a safe environment for them, the more open they're going to be and the more honest they're going to be about their, their whole situation. So I really love that. So I'm going to switch gears for a minute because um, clearly I could talk about this with you forever. It's so interesting to me. Um, but I, of course, I'm a stalker. Anybody that's ever been on my podcast knows this about me because I'll go out and find out everything I can about you because it just makes it, it just makes for a more interesting conversation. Um, but I know that you described um, one of your managerial superpowers is um, motivating a team, building a team from the ground up, and then bringing them together around a shared vision. So I'd like to hear about how you use those superpowers um, when you were launching Betty's. But before we do that, hang on, I have a couple of comments here. So I did want to put put this one back up for, so this is a man um, making this comment that that he'd never knew it was designed around, might've been designed around testosterone, but it made sense obviously to him, but it made sense to me too. When you were saying that, I'm like, wow, that makes perfect sense. And then um, Esther says, it's funny that women's health issues at any age is a challenge. Even my peers are saying the same thing postmenopausal and not finding the right providers who get it. And I did also have another person say um, when we were chatting that as a senior woman, she finds some of the same challenges that she's just kind of shuffled oh. through the system. And then well, our last one says, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, there is such a need for this right now. So, um, you know, you got to start somewhere and you are starting in the right, right. spot. Thank you. I'd love to spend just a 30 seconds on, on the concerns around postmenopause for women because I'm technically a postmenopausal woman. And those are absolutely some issues right there. I will say, I think there are some great organizations that are starting to really focus on that space. And I'm excited to see some innovation happen there. It's needed, much like what we're doing for Betty's for Young Women. And for me, I see and hope that the market for healthcare will go into this model of, you know, what we're going to do our very best for a group of people in a specific stage of life. 
Um, because again, so much of women's health is focused on pregnancy that once you're after your, your pregnancy years, the system just, it's just not designed well to serve you. And so we're trying to get them on the front end. And I really hope I start to see even more organizations start to do that for postmenopausal women because it's so needed. But even for us, that's that's a place where we start to refer women out. So we're actively sourcing for providers who are really great at helping women, you know, with kind of menopause once they're in that time. So perimenopause is a trigger for us to refer out because we know our system isn't right. set up well for a postmenopausal woman. Um, and so, um, again, if anybody has any recommendations out there, if you have great providers, um, please share those. Um, I'm, I'm hoping we start to see more come on the market. I love that. Thank you so much. Um, okay, so we are going to. Okay, you got you. People are loving this. Okay, I don't. I don't know who this person is. How do I block them? Stop. Yeah, get get off of here. Um, so, sorry. Um, I've, never had that. I've never had that before. Just somebody getting random trolled. getting trolled. Um, so let's go back to um, how you got everybody to kind of band around your vision and you know, and buy in when you were launching Betty's. Yeah, you know, I got that question. I'll, I'll never forget one of my. I actually use this interview question now, but I was interviewing for a job, um, and my you know manager. I ended up luckily getting the job. Not that manager had asked, "What is your superpower?" And I had to stop and think about it. And, and that was my answer is just the ability to build teams and to um, bring them together around a shared vision. And um, I, it, women's healthcare, it's amazing. I, I will say one line about Betty's and just about every woman I talk to, her eyes kind of perk up, right? She's like, oh, that's interesting. Tell me more. And I think because for Betty's in particular, that it's it's been relatively easy to bring people in and wrap them around this this concept in terms of my team. Even men, um, I have been really amazed. I have um, several men who are partners in various ways for the organization. And, um, you know, they kind of look at this and they they think, this is this is really great. This is needed. Um, I think there's just something when we start talking about young women, women's healthcare and serving them in a very different way, you know, there's this strong recognition that there is a need for it. Now, the how we do it, sometimes you can lose people that way. But we've been fortunate that I think our method um, is one, and we, this is set up intentionally, is one that a lot of people can really understand and rally around. Um, so with Betty's in particular, um, I, I just think the nature of the work really lends itself way, well to a shared vision. Now, how that skill has um you know, kind of transpired into building Betty's is, is just interesting. I, I think I'm, I tend to be a pretty passionate person, um, a, a passionate, but also level-headed person. And you're going to get to some, I think some questions in a little bit. So I might, you might hear me say that again, but um, I think that combination where um, I'm excited about something and I can get other people excited about it. It just really starts from where I'm at as a leader. And so I often um, find myself being really open with my team members about where we are. Um, and, and, and a lot of times that then I think builds some trust. And, and I'm a big fan of um, Brene Brown. She talks a lot about vulnerability. I find myself to be a pretty vulnerable person with my team members, um, which again, I think also builds trust. And so when I'm excited about something, it's genuine. And they pick up on that and they kind of um, can take a little bit of that energy and excitement for themselves too. I love that. Um, so one of the taglines on your website says where wellness and lifestyle meet. And I just, I like, 
love that so much because isn't that really what healthcare is supposed to be about? I mean, healthcare is supposed to just, is to help us live our best lives. It's not just to necessarily treat something acute. And I think that's what we tend to think about. Oh, I'm bleeding. I need care. Well, you probably need care before you were, I mean, when I, you know, like you cut yourself or whatever the case may be, but oftentimes there's a lot of things that lead up to that that we can address and we can live our best lives. And really healthcare's, in my opinion, um, goal should be to keep us out of the hospital and to keep us, I don't wanna say out of the doctor, what I wanna say is out of the doctor unnecessarily. Because if we're going there for the right reasons, it should keep us healthy and well. But the other thing I really liked on your website, clearly website stalker here, um, is that you have a promises section and everyone has, you see it all the time, you, you, the vision statement, our core values, but this is a promise and you're very clear about it. So you've promised five things. So tell us a little bit about that. Yes. So um, I, you know, was thinking through what type of organization do we want? What is our mission? And our mission is to normalize women's healthcare for younger women. Um, and I feel strongly that by doing that is going to require creating a remarkable experience. So then you back into, okay, well, how do you create a remarkable experience? And it just really centers around the concept of loving and serving young women. And as so I thought about, okay, how, what's this environment that we want to have for our community that that is not just external to our patients and customers, but how we are um, treating each other too. I um, I kind of, I've used one of my favorite verses. This is a representation of my personal faith, um, but I think how it transpires in our organization is really important. And so that, that verse for anyone who's interested is 1 Peter 3, 8. And so it gives the five characteristics of how um, the church is supposed to treat each other and its members. And, um, those are, um, and I'm, I'm going to forget one off the top of my head, but, um, kind heartedness, harmonious, um, humility, um, sympathy and empathy. And, um, uh, the last one is really love, like a, a, a familial brother, brotherly love. And so we've actually turned that into community because we think that that is the way to represent that type of um, love and affection for our, our, our Bettys is what we call them, our patients. So, um, so that's where they came from and they're really meaningful. We look for team members who live out those values. We talk about those values frequently whenever we're thinking about problem solving or we come um, up to a conflict, um, which there are plenty of conflicts and in a startup environment, right? How do you manage those conflicts? And they really need to come from those the, the place of those five values. And are yeah. we are we modeling those? I love that. Um, I have another comment here from Peggy and it says, and this is really true. And and, uh, I know Peggy, she's, she's a lovely person as a female athlete. I also saw that many of the, uh, many of the medicine or much of the medicine, she said, corrects it. Much of the medicine was designed around male athletes. If they had a provider like this, like you, I feel that many female athletes would have stayed in the sport longer, both mentally and physically, because they would have understood what was happening with their bodies better. I'm adding that reading between the lines and PS love Brene and PS don't we all I've got to hold. <laughs> and, and I have to say um, this is actually kind of funny off topic, but I often ask people um, in my five questions, I don't think I ask you, but I often ask people who's like their favorite um, podcast or author or somebody they'd like to sit down with and have coffee. 
Mm -hmm. uh, the majority of women say Brene Brown. The majority of men say Joe Rogan. Just FYI. <laughs> what an interesting difference, right? What an interesting distinction between those two personality types, yeah, too. And I'm yeah, not making so, any judgments no, either me way. Either. And the, I actually the, like Joe Rogan, but it was like, yeah. I, it makes me kind of laugh that I have noticed that. Um, and I have another comment here. Um, from Esther says, healthcare is about healthy, helping us live our best lives. Absolutely. As someone inside the industry, that concept is not well understood for one thing, but reality is that it was and primarily is designed around sick care, which we agree, including reimbursement alignment. Forward thinkers are now making the shift buoyed by um, COVID shifts. Absolutely. Um, and I'm going to go back for one second. When you were talking about um, your your verse and the, those core values for, and I also am a person of faith, but for those that aren't, I love this saying, be the way you want the other person to be mm. without, and then there's a print, then there's a parenthesis behind that without expectation of return. So if you want, it's, it's really, you know, it's, you often think about it, treat people, but honestly, just be that way. Be mm -hmm. the way you want others to be that are around you, and I think that that's I think that's a just a, a powerful statement. So I just thought I'd throw that throw that in there for a second. Um, okay, so the other thing I found super interesting about you, among other things, was that you decided to document your entrepreneurial journey. You have a little YouTube yes. channel. Yes. Oh my gosh! Yes. I watched many of them, um, and. Uh, <laughs> I thought it was super insightful. I, I liked I liked seeing um, the struggles you had. I liked hearing what you were thinking when you were going through it. But what inspired you to do it? And did you find it helped you process some of it as you were going through it? Nancy, you are a stalker. You found <laughs> those. I haven't posted in a long time because as people who do that know, it takes a lot of time to put those videos together. But I... Um, yeah. So I just, I thought, you know what? I really want to spread the word about Betty's. I want people to understand what I'm doing and we're in really early stages. So how can I bring people along this journey with me? I'm a first time entrepreneur. I am learning things at rapid fire. Um, I would say rapid fire, but also there are significant lulls in those early, early months um, of just, gosh, how, how do I start a business from scratch? What resources do I use? What tools are available out there? Um, and I'm, I have a tendency to be a bit of a perfectionist. So I usually don't like putting things out there that aren't to a certain standard. And entrepreneurship has completely changed that for me. Um, so I thought, you know what, I'm just going to bring people along. I'm going to use this as a way to encourage people who might be entrepreneurs, but also to get some momentum behind Betty's and what it is we're trying to do. And I found myself, the reason, you know, the reason I did it, I don't know if anybody else does this. I found myself having a lot of inner monologues right? I, just, I was monologuing. I just wanted to share things so badly because I was learning so much. And I just found I wanted to have a little bit of a conversation about them. Um, and so I thought, well, I'm just, I'm going to put that on camera and I'm going to try to make it digestible and see if other people out there resonate with what I'm sharing about my experience. Um, so that's the, that's the reason behind it, really. Um, it's been interesting and it, it was a little bit therapeutic. Again, I've had those monologues and I think for my videoing process, I'm, I'm big on having, you know, a pretty, um, uh, scripted, um, kind of approach. And so it forced me to process things that were cycling through my brain on an ongoing basis to be able to put them out there and kind of share them with others. I had to get them more concise. I had to be a little bit more um, 
fixated on a concept. And it really did help me process that. I like it. Um, what I listen, I, I think you should do more of them, honestly. I liked them. Um, but one thing that I was told when I first was thinking about doing any sort of video content, um, I was told, uh, just do it because no one's going to watch it in the beginning anyway, and you'll get better over time. So when people ask me all the time, I'm like, just do it. No one's going to watch in the beginning anyway, because it is yep. so true. You're like, oh, I had two views and you're all excited, you know, and right. it, it, it def definitely changes over time. But one of the things I did learn from one of your videos, which I love because I have had the same little thing, you love a good alliteration. And you, one of the terms you used was a persistent pickle, which I hadn't heard that one before, but I really like it. I'm sure it's going to pop out of my mouth at some point. But um, do you ever find yourself just like in your mind automatically creating alliterations around things? When somebody asks you to like make a title of something, you automatically go there? It is like the number one tool. So in whatever writing, so on our, on our website, bettysco.com, we have a lot of content. We want to educate young women. We're, we're really creating that to be a lifestyle brand. Um, and so, you know, my creative director sits right across from me and she and I are constantly going back and forth on titles. And both of us have found this, you know, have this love for alliteration. In my past work, I did a lot of content development um, for kind of thought leadership pieces and ended up managing um, product marketing teams, which then required a lot of content. So titling, um, doing a lot of that and, and alliteration is for sure my number one um, tool. I love it. I, I do. I do too. And I automatically think that way. So when someone asks me to come up with a title, I'm like, I automatically go there and they're like, really? I know. <laughs> I know. Like, Can't you be a little more creative? I'm like, but I love it. So. <laughs> we actually call our service, our, the services that we provide in our mobile clinic, we call it care close by. And we were struggling. What do we call this? Because our other, our virtual care is care anywhere. So we have care right. anywhere and care close by. And once we landed on the alliteration, we're like, oh, Two C's. Yes. That's, yeah. that's close enough. It works. Let's do it. Yeah. I love it. Um, okay. Before we move on to um, the closing section and my five burning questions, I want to just take a little bit of space to identify where you are, where Betty's is physically right now, because I know you're not national and what your goals are um, for the company, because we need this everywhere. We really do need it everywhere. And we're hoping for fast growth. So right now we're in San Antonio, Texas. Um, we are, our providers are licensed, of course, in the state of Texas. So our Care Anywhere service can be um, delivered to any woman in the state. Um, and our physical uh, services can be delivered in San Antonio. And then we're going to start to branch into Austin later this year. So we're hoping to have a great stronghold in Texas, hit some of the major cities across the next two to three years. Um, and again, we're a mobile clinic, so we can branch out into some of the rural areas too. Um, from there, our plan is, of course, to grow. So we want to grow quickly. We um, are really interested in growing in the Southeast where there is a lot of need. There are fewer providers doing what we're doing and serving this market. So um, eventually we want to be national. Um, and that's that's kind of where we are. Our mobile clinic, you know, I'm talking about care close by. Um, we are actually rolling it out next week is the first week that we're actually going to have it, it at sites. And we are fully booked at location. So um, the groups that want to have us on site, they're really excited about us. We found some great partners in that. And so we are scheduled across the months of March and April and and then at other places throughout the year, but we'll be able to have a pretty full schedule. 
exciting. That, that's awesome. So um, I this is my shout out to all of my community and anybody that might be listening. If you have a way to help this woman spread this mission, get in touch with her, have her on your podcast, talk to her, find out ways that you can support what she's doing, because this is an absolute need in our market. And um, for those of my industry peers and professionals that are trying to change the way healthcare is provided, this is the one of the ways that we're going to do it. So thank um, you. Okay. So now we get to have a little fun and we get to move on to my five burning questions. I change them up a little bit, but number one is cast in stone. I have to ask everybody because it ties into the title. So what is your absolute favorite food in the world and can you cook it? A pizza is my favorite food. Um, and no, I cannot cook pizza. Um, and I like, you know, the deep dish, lots of cheese, pepperoni, just a very classic pizza. My husband, though, he can make a really great homemade pizza. It's a little bit more, you know, what you would expect, um, more of a gourmet style pizza with different ingredients. And he has a lot of fun with it. So I'm grateful to marry someone who is a, he's a wonderful cook. Oh. Um, but I no, I, I'm not going to attempt to make a good pizza. I've, I've done that. And I usually burn the crust. Okay. All right. Well, pizza is a classic. <laughs> I have a great recipe if you ever need one. Um, okay. So what's the one character trait that you admire most in other people and why? Um, thoughtfulness, I think someone, uh, you know, and the why is because um, I find myself having to be a, a, a helper. I would say someone who is a helper, a thoughtful helper. I have to be really intentional and it takes a lot of work and effort to be a thoughtful helper. I'm so focused on my mission. I'm a very um, kind of mission oriented person, right? And I'm doing this healthcare revolution, which I am putting all of my energy into. And I find I'm just generally that way. When I find a thing, I'm, I'm very focused on that. And sometimes that leaves people out, some of my loved ones, my friends. And um, I'm just, I so admire those in my life and those that I see who they kind of wake up and they just think, oh, I need to talk to so-and-so today because they're going through this and they need this thing and maybe I can help them. So I, um, yeah, I really love that characteristic and other people and respect it greatly. And um, some people seem to do it so effortlessly and I'm a little jealous of that. I love that. Okay. Um, again, a couple more comments um, from LinkedIn user, must be one of my good friends, um, says, Betty's Co., let me know when you're ready to expand into the greater Detroit area of Michigan. I love your mission and accomplishments and would love to support your growth there. Oh, I know you. 100% that we can build a lot of support behind what you're doing um, if we get the word out. So this is amazing. Um, okay, so if I were to flip the mirror on you and say, okay, what's the character trait you're most proud of in yourself and why? What would that be? I can guess. Um, well, actually, I would say um, integrity. Oh. I, um, yeah, I would say integrity. I, it's, that's a really important value to me. And something that I, I, I think that's something that comes very natural to me where I have um, a, a strong set of core values. My values really drive what I do. And I really um, kind of stay in that space of living out those values. And um, it's easy for me to resist things that come into conflict with my values. So I would, I would say that just personal integrity. I love that. Um, so what do you think has been the number one greatest lesson you've learned so far in getting Betty's off the ground? Greatest lesson in getting Betty's off the ground. Um, so I, I kind of alluded to this earlier. I would say it is my, um, 
ability to overcome my perfectionist nature. Um, that in decision making, I have to, and this is kind of the perfectionism piece, I have to make a million decisions every day and I have to make fast decisions. So it's it's being able to forgive myself for bad decisions, even in a future state and just like yeah. not lingering on that mistake um, and just not having, knowing that there, there's not really a perfect route to building Betty's. There aren't, I can't get things to a finite place before I move on to the next thing, which yeah. is just, again, hard has, was hard for me in the early stages of Betty's. Um, and so through that, I've learned that I just, I need to make quick decisions. I need to be able to forgive myself and nothing's going to be perfect. I love it. Um, and so, um, again, now I have somebody saying, if you're ready, when you're ready for New York, get support there too. So well, thank you. Esther. Uh, <laughs> uh, and Esther is a per wonderful person to, to connect with. So what would you say is your secret talent or something people would be surprised to learn about you? This is a, this is always a difficult one to answer this type of question. Um, uh, for today, I'm just going to stick with um, salsa dancing. I really okay, I love, love it. to go salsa dancing. I haven't been in a while, but I started, I grew up dancing and then I discovered salsa around 18 and I would go, I'm from Nashville, Tennessee originally. And um, Nashville has a really great salsa scene and being in San Antonio, I kind of feel like Nashville does salsa a little bit better. Oh, that's and, funny. Um, all right. It's really, I wouldn't have thought that. So I, I'm still scouting different locations to see where I can find one that fits in, but that has in Texas, my love of salsa has somewhat transpired to a love of two-stepping, which my husband can do a little bit better than he salsas. So, um, so we do, we do enjoy going dancing, going to the dance hall and two-stepping. I love it. Okay. Last question. And we kind of alluded to this earlier. I forgot I put it in um, for you, but who is the person um, that is either a podcast host, author, speaker, you know, you've met connected with on LinkedIn that you would most love to meet in real life and share a cup of coffee with? To me. So I know I mentioned Brene Brown and because I mentioned her, I feel like I need to say somebody else. So let me think through this podcast host, LinkedIn, other professional, you know, I will say there's a podcast that I really like listening to. It's called Pantsuit Politics. It's two women out of the Kentucky area. They just, um, talk about a lot of nuance um, in politics. And I'm just, I really think their approach is kind of cool, the discussions that they have. Um, I would like to talk to them, I think. I'd love That's to you know, be a guest on their podcast one day and or just sit down, like you said, and have a cup of coffee and kind of pick their brains. They've, um, you know, they're kind of breaking the mold. They're doing things a little bit differently and they're really um, in a space that is needed. And um, again, kind of doing it in a in a different kind of way than a lot of other people. So I like that. I love that. Well, I can't thank you enough for your time today, Jennifer. This has been an absolute um, delight speaking with you. Um, clearly from all the comments and the inter interaction, other people really enjoyed it and can see the need for it as well. So um, if you would like to connect with Jennifer or know more about her, um, obviously you can message, you can connect through LinkedIn. Um, you can go to your website, bettysco.com. Um, any other ways that people would want to get in touch with you? Um, if that's perfect. My okay. email is jennifer.newell at bettysco.com. Feel free to email me, but LinkedIn, I check that regularly, would be happy to uh, connect with you there. Um, and then I would just encourage you all, something that would be helpful to us is um, to follow us on social media. We are in most cases just at Betty's Co. We might be at Betty's Health Co. is our Facebook, but we're on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, um, and Twitter. 
and soon to be on TikTok in a more meaningful way than we are. So if you're on any of those platforms, I would love to have you follow us. Awesome. That's a great piece of advice. And um, again, thank you so much. And until next week, make it a great day.